Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter, and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer, and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons, aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hello, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Spinning Plates. Um, Happy Halloween. Did you do anything spooky? Uh, We decided to have a Halloween kitchen disco around here, which was pretty fun. Um, Got the old box of Halloween stuff out of the attic. Uh, One of the few things where you pull it out of the attic and if it's got cobwebs on, you just sort of leave them on. (laughs) Makes it a little more spooky. Um, And actually, it was really fun just thinking about Halloween and being a bit out of yourself for a minute and thinking about scary songs that have got good memories. Um, I've been thinking so much this year about how nostalgia has played such a big part when it comes to what I'm listening to. I've sort of been going back and listening to stuff I liked when I was a kid and things that got happy memories. And I think it's because this year, if you hear new music, it's hard to make new memories. You know, like if you've got like, I don't know, let's say a sound of a summer, it'll remind you of festivals you went to that summer or a really brilliant party or a day out with mates or, you know, clubbing in your summer holidays, or something. But this year, new music just has the soundtrack, is the soundtrack to exactly the same thing we've been doing for months now. And I think that's why we've all been looking backwards and thinking, ah, but that song reminds me of that time in my life, and that's better. So yes, with Halloween, you know, I've had some brilliant times going to Halloween parties and singing these spooky songs, so that's been really fun. Um, And my uh, podcast guest this week is someone, wow, I finally found somebody with more kids than me. It's funny, I don't know if you've noticed, probably not, it's probably me only noting this kind of thing, that everybody I've spoken to uh, has had sort of one, two, I think maximum three children, I think. Um, And now suddenly I have just spoken to someone, Amanda Owens, also known as the Yorkshire Shepherdess, who has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine kids. Just take a minute to absorb that. I mean, she's very generous when we spoke because she sort of speaks to me as if I am someone who has the same number of kids. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I have pretty much, pretty much half what she has. It's funny because when you have a lot of children, people tend to say, oh, once you go past three, it's just the same, or you don't notice past four. I think that's not true. 
I've noticed every single one of my infants uh, in terms of, you know, feeling literally like more people and literally like more madness to deal with. So I don't know if I quite agree with that. So Lord knows what it's like in a household with nine. But hey, she has the freedom of the farm, which I think is such a wonderful environment for kids. And it was nice to speak to her because she was very honest about the fact that, you know, she doesn't get down on hands and knees and, do, knees and do jigsaw puzzles with the kids, but she'll take them out horse riding or dry stone walling or, you know, checking in on all the wildlife on the farm. And they've all got chores, they've all got jobs. So it sounds pretty, pretty hardworking, pretty wholesome, pretty honest. And I really liked Amanda. She was in London to talk to her publisher about her fourth book because not only is she running a farm and raising nine kids, she's also written three books, which is pretty impressive. Uh, now doing her fourth, and she has a TV program that documents their life up in Yorkshire. So it's lovely to meet her, and thanks to Amanda for coming to see me and coming to the Big Smoke to chat. Um, yes, I will leave it. I mean, you know, embarrassingly, I did have tea. Of course, we both love our cups of tea, but she, uh, I did not have Yorkshire brew, so apologies for that, Amanda. <laughs> she was too polite to say anything if that was an issue but anyway um i'm gonna go and have my customary cup of tea um nice to see you again uh thanks for lending me your ears and see you on the other side this is a cozy one oh as you probably know this podcast is called spinning plates because for me that's the sort of analogy that best feels how I feel when I've got loads of things going on mm. do you think you feel the same way yeah I'm spinning <laughs> plates dropping them there's a few go heading off in all different directions but do I care <laughs> <laughs> well what's what's uh, really exciting for me is that you're the first person I spoke to who's got more kids than me there oh that's go. my cat's about to have a fight <laughs> oh is that is that <laughs> fight mode yeah brother and sister and they hate each other go out with yeah, they really, she's just doesn't, I've got two boys and a girl, and like the girl cat just does not get on with the guys. Even and has that always been the case? Yeah, she's really standoffish. Uh, <laughs> she's really anti-social cat. Um, yeah, because, uh, what was I going to say? I guess so, that's, yeah. a, that's a bit like kids as well, because everyone has always assumes, oh, they're just like peas in a pod. Are you kidding? No, well, I was going to say, you mm. would know about the spectrum of different personalities. I remember when I had my... I think my third baby and someone said to me well after that you'll basically get repeats of the same character traits because it's not possible to have more than three different things and rubbish. I was like what are you talking about absolutely <laughs> that is the biggest load of rubbish <laughs> how did you politely answer that one <laughs> well I think I th this has occurred to me loads of times I think parenthood and kids and all those sorts of things it's one of the most personal things it's incredibly bespoke and yet there are loads of comments that people feel they can freely give that are actually about something very personal, that unless you go and live around that person's house, you're not going to know about it. Mm. And I think there's just that comment's probably just one of billions of comments that I receive all the time about assumptions people make about the sort of house I have or the sort of kids I have or the way it must be having all of the same gender or anything. And you just get used to the fact that unless people actually know my children, they're not going to really know what no. goes on. They, uh, well, I mean, I, I mean, I feel like, in a way, I feel like I've maybe almost sort of put that one to rights because with doing the television program the reality of course everyone the first thing that people say to me now is I feel like I know you they don't but you know they've kind of got that window on our lives yeah well they have and and, mm. and actually it's it probably also kind of helps you relax about your own chaos because I think especially this year more significantly than other loads of people have sort of opened their homes up a lot more haven't we like for people are working yeah. at home and all this and yeah through social media and mostly it seems people are be, uh, sort of breathing a collective sigh of relief that 
actually we're all just doing what we can and just well, exactly. making ends meet. It, is, it, is a, it does feel like a little bit of responsibility as well to, to kind of be what you say you are. I mean, you know, once you have the cameras in or a photographer or whatever, it's very easy to slip into the, you know, trying to um, tidy up round the edges and make everything just so... But there's a limit. Mm. <laughs> there is a limit as to how much stuff you can actually chuck through the other door or shove under a sofa or hide behind a cushion. Yeah. We, you know, um, we are as we are. And it's, it's kind of important that you are genuine and what you say that you are. Yeah, and I think if you're doing something like a TV programme... There's only so long you could carry, continue any sort of pretense. Oh, exactly. Anyway, like that would just be like unsustainable. So <laughs> exactly, and I like I like the fact that, that that there is that interest, and like what you see is what you get. Yeah, you know, if you bring if you bring one of those sort of uh, fisheye lens cameras into our living room, and you get you get the shot, you just do not know what you're going to get. You know, there'll be kids lounging about, yeah. dogs, goodness knows what, odd socks, big pants. <laughs> We're home to a few pairs of big pants or something. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. I, I guess yeah. I, it does give you more of a relaxed attitude. It's kind of, it's kind of the opposite, I suppose, of what people might think. They'll say, oh, you must be run ragged, you know. But I guess, I guess, you things sort of level out at a certain stage, and you kind of become more accepting. I think as you go along. Do you think that happens from having a big family? Then? Definitely. I remember, and Raven reminds me of you know how how when it came to clothes and dressing, you know, everything would be just so. And standards kind of slip a little bit. And I'm kind of quite happy with that, really, because it's, it, it's kind of like um, not necessarily about the appearance, it's about the children and what they're comfiest in and, and you know, reflecting their characters and what they want. So I was going to say, because also as they get older, I mean, we're talking about the fact you have... You're the first person I've spoken to who has more kids than me. Because I have five children, which is relatively an anomaly. I don't have a lot of friends who have five kids. In fact, I've only got one friend that has as many as me. Really? I don't know anyone with six, but you have nine. So you've done like almost double the amount of children. And whenever people say to me, oh, I don't know, you know, because frequently, I'm sure you must get this like yeah. hourly. Um, see people say, oh, I don't know how you do it. I find it hard enough with two or with three or whatever, or with one. And I always say it's sort of more of the same, really. It really is. Yeah. It really is. I feel, I, I feel that you do kind of um, uh, sort of hit a level where pretty much the chaos levels couldn't become any more chaotic. And you're just, you're just there, you know? And people will say, did you always plan a big family? No, not at all. No, me neither. No, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing. It just kind of... It sounds ridiculous to say it just kind of happened. But you kind of have to have the kind of life that allows it. Yeah. Whatever that life is. I would imagine there are enormous differences in our parenting techniques just due to the fact that we live in such different places. Yeah. You maybe will have to, I suppose, keep an eye on them in uh, in more of a way than I do. I'm very sort of relaxed, free range, because they've got space and room. But that's not taking anything away from from here and where you live. But all I mean is, my children know their patch like yours will know this patch. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, I don't take any offence at that. I think you're completely right. I mean, and also you know the life that you... I, was, I grew up in a city. Yeah. So for me, raising kids 
in the city in London made complete sense to me. It's where I grew up and I, I'm fine with that. But then every once in a while, I'll take them to the countryside and I'll suddenly feel really selfish because I think kids make a lot of sense in open spaces. Yes. It suits their instincts. And I think the idea of growing up on a farm, whilst I'm sure the reality of it is at some points it's incredibly grueling and dependent on all these factors like weather and you know getting heating and you're not you know not haven't got something close by where you can go and nip and I don't know grab whatever you need to grab in the middle of the night or whatever but but you've also got so much that's just so locked into nature and your surroundings it's kind of six and two threes though because uh, people could also level up me and say well you know they're not living in the real world is that what people say Mm. Well, firstly, when you said six and two threes, my brain had to actually work out that they were both the same number. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a bit but, sleep but, seriously, today. people do. <laughs> people do. They will say, you know, um, you're living in some sort of rural utopia. That isn't the real world. What a ridiculous thing to say. Well, again, I would say, well, you know, I think a farm is a brilliant place uh, for the children to grow up. But they are getting reality and they aren't cut off from this world. I'm so shocked anyone would say that. Oh, you, you'd be surprised. It's the I, opposite. I would have thought that a farm is a place we actually have to properly get out there, all weathers, there's jobs that just need to happen, there's momentum that is, yes, the but, farm is completely dependent but on. But how many people will say to me, yes, but what do you do about, about the basic things that you need to survive in modern day life? And I'll be like, oh, what's that then? A mobile signal. You haven't got a mobile signal and you've got rubbish internet. How can you cope with that? And I will say, well, you know what? We live in a place where the water comes from the spring and it comes from um, high up on the moor side there and sometimes you turn the tap on and no water will come out and then you go with a shovel and find out where the frog is in the pipe. Sometimes the electricity doesn't work. Those are the basics. Yeah, I'm... Those are the basics, not the internet. So it's kind of like the thing, people's ideas have gone skew if about what you actually, actually need. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking like kind of in disbelief over here because to me... That, as you said, that is the graft and that is understanding the correlation of... You basically get a kind of microcosm of, of, of life in that because everything is dependent on nothing else and it's all the basics of, of, of life, isn't it? Well, exactly. They, they are getting really good <laughs> life lessons that they can translate and take to any other life wherever that should be, whether, yeah. it's, whether it's in the countryside, whether it's in the city, because people say, you know, oh, um, they're not growing up in the real world. Um, they'll never be able to cope with real life but they're actually learning lessons yeah where we are that are per- that will set them up really good to be people who are hands-on and people who've got a degree of common sense and can do things through their sense of being independent you see yeah absolutely and um, um, so when with, with each increasing member in your brood do they are they do you find the independence sort of strikes quicker with yeah definitely Definitely. By the time um, we got to Nancy, number nine, um, you know, she was using a knife, knife and fork and feeding herself. And I think it was with Annis. She must be number seven, I think. Number seven. I remember, because of course, we're, all the children have bicycles and they're always bicycles that somebody's had in their garage or shed and they've gone a little bit rusty and then they've come to our house, recycled cycles, mm. if you see what I mean. <laughs> and... I remember watching Annie's come past the house on the two-wheel bicycle that had no stabilisers on and thinking, my goodness, no one actually taught her to ride a bike. <laughs> <She> just, <laughs> when did she learn to do that? 
but of course the brothers and sisters you see oh that, do you ever find it where you sort of step back and just can overhear them teaching the little one something well exactly yeah it's a, it's a good feeling yeah it is a lovely. good it is a, it is a it is a great feeling you might think that it means that you miss out on the milestones but i don't think it's that at all it's that kind of and it's not that the milestones don't matter it's just that it's kind of more of a a gradual kind of a thing you know you don't I don't know, you know, for some parents, they'll be able to tell you the exact age that they walked, talked, did whatever. I can't do that. Well, to be honest, if my kids say to me, what was my first word? I usually just say like bus or duck because I can't <laughs> yeah, remember. Just make it up. Oh, I'm so glad somebody else does that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm saying, I mean, literally, if things have got so sort of uh, bad at our house that we have sort of like an accumulated sort of um, en masse visit of the tooth fairy. <laughs> It's just like, put it under your pillow every night until the tooth fairy can actually be bothered to come to the house. That's a very good idea. <laughs> well, that's a tooth fairy. She's like, she's on like, this is means business. Like, okay, yeah, she's an extra big bag. Exactly. <laughs> and, when, and when the children are little, because I've got various ones that have um, birthdays in the summer, we would also have birthday en masse as well. Well, I was going to say, your birthdays sort of spread out throughout the year, aren't they? Tend well, they, to... Kind of, they tend to bunch up through the, through the, through the summer, so you have to make out, out that what you like. But, <laughs> but basically, whilst they're little and they don't know what day the birthday is, it makes absolute sense to just cram them all in. Yeah, no, I'm all for that kind of thing. And I people think will be like mortified and be like, oh, but what about their special day? But you know what? I think there's a lot of things, because so many things in society is very regulated and everything's got a guideline and I think sometimes in a big family or in families in general actually that the sort of ability for you to sort of carve out your own narrative and like the idea of the big ones looking out for the little ones like the other night some of it almost becomes like taboo about to talk about like the other night um my when you've got a big range of agents hard to find things they can all do together so I think the 11 year old and the 8 year old were watching a movie the rating is a 12. Because the 11-year-old had seen it before, he could tell the 8-year-old when he needed to stop. And then when the 4-year-old came to watch, I said, did you like that film? That's a bit grown up as you went, don't worry, when they did this bit and that bit, they fast-forwarded it so I didn't see anything. And it's like, you know, they do sort of like start to look out for each other. But that's good. And that's how things used to be. Yeah. That's how things used to be, you know, like, particularly with, with you know, um, village schools and all the rest of it. There would be, um, rather than there being 30 or 40 five or six year olds in a class there would be a real age range and things have changed now where it's almost frowned upon that yeah I think you're right actually did you grow up like that were you well no I mean I come from a town I come from from um Huddersfield so a very um very typical suburban childhood so the countryside was you know and uh something that I, a place that I dreamed of, a place that I could see out of my window, but I didn't grow up there. Did you have a big family? Have you got, no, no, not at all. What about you? Um, I'm an only child for my mum and dad, and mm. then after they both remarried, yeah. I've got a brother and sister on my mum's side, mm. and another two sisters and a brother on my dad's side. So mm. I'm now one of six, or one of four, or one of three. <laughs> it can be at. whatever you yeah. like, whenever you want. But it did mean I always had a baby on the hip from about eight. Yes. Well, I mean, yeah. it, it, um, it was kind of, for me, having a big family, obviously meet the right man, and also be a pl- at a place in your life and an actual physical location that lent itself yeah. to that as well. I, I didn't actually share with you this before, but my stepdad was from Huddersfield. So my oh, brother really? and sister are actually half Huddersfield. So yeah, we do have that connection. I've there been to Huddersfield many times, go. yeah. <laughs> In fact, my mum's house has got a Huddersfield plaque 
outside of it. Fantastic. Yes, yeah, so the house is called Huddersfield. Yeah, I always, I always kind of struggle when it when it comes to to mentioning Huddersfield as to as to saying so much about it. I mean, I loved um, living there. I had a great childhood, but I always dreamed of you know. The, the, I always reckoned there was two ways you could go when you were in Huddersfield. You could either go for ten minutes and be right in the middle of um, the town and you know busy, 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 or ten minutes the other way, and you could be out on the moors and that's the way that I wanted to go I got my, there on my bicycle I love the countryside so, and has that some, been something that's always resonated with you for always. as long as you can remember always I didn't kind of I didn't kind of read into it you know no. I, didn't, I didn't know that that, that was time. a thing you know you know it, it, it was um, pretty much when I got into my teens and um, the talk was all about careers and what you want to do in life that, that it became more of a thing that I recognise so so did you have to seek out for yourself how that would turn into a, a livelihood? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the signs were all there. I mean, I was always a reader. I love reading. And um, the television, of course. I know this sounds very on topic at the moment, but I used to watch All Creatures Great as well. James Harrier, I loved those books. And watched the TV programme. And for me, that was the dream. And in my mind, I thought that kind of... Yorkshire that I was seeing, reading about and seeing on the television, I thought, well, that it was out of my reach, should I say, because it wasn't my Yorkshire at all. But, but somehow, and I think it's fate, I found myself there. Yeah, and does it, does it seem, do you remember feeling like when you started to... to oh, it, well, it was only recently, it's only recently that it actually kind of really hit home that I feel like I've almost come full circle, really, from seeing it on the television and reading the books to actually living where I do and being at, at, living at one of the places that actually features in one of the real Alf White, James Herridge, um books. Really? Oh, that's a nice sentence. Yeah, I know, I like but, but the thing is, it's like, again, it, it's, it sort of takes time. If you imagine me as a teenager in um, Huddersfield Library sort of going through the bookshelf, sort of knowing what I liked and enjoying the books on um, the countryside, animals, farming, all the rest of it, and kind of grasping at straws, knowing that I'd been told that I wasn't academic enough to be a vet, which, of course, was the immediate thing that I thought I wanted to be, and kind of sort of looking for the next thing, picking up a book that was called Hill Shepherd, and it was a picture book, and seeing these photographs of shepherds at work in the Yorkshire Dales and in the Lake District and sort of thinking, my God, I didn't realise that that life still existed and these places still existed and sort of setting me off on the road to becoming a hill shepherd, which I know I don't look like I'm one of those today, <laughs> but I am. Um, <laughs> you left your pitchfork at the door. <laughs> <laughs> I crack. did have the mask on with the, she with the sheep on. You did, it's true. <laughs> but, but... If you, again, fast forward, um, well, 30 years, that very same book, unbeknown to me, I got a, got a copy of it um, online and got it sent to the house. I go through that book and I find a picture of my husband in it. Really? Yeah. So my husband is in that book that I was looking at as a teenager trying to sort of find my way and sort of, you know, tick all the boxes and sort of find that place that, that I dreamed of, of going, but I didn't know how to get there. And he's there in the book. Wow, that's amazing. How, when did you discover that? When you looked back? Like, yeah. Quite recently? Yeah, yes. Oh, and it was amazing. like, it was, it was seriously, it was just like, because I mean, the book, the book must have been 
must have been about 1988 that that book came out, and he was in it. That's amazing. So, so it, it, people talk about, you know, books and how they can play a big part in your life. Well, there's all sorts of things that resonate, and you know, hearing you talk about yeah, the books and what you saw on TV, and even just how you felt when you yeah. went out on your bike and found yourself in on the moors. I think you know, it, it's lovely that it managed to become something that's so massively featured in your life and who you are. I know. But you see, again, so that that kind of gives me a perspective when it comes to the children as well. Mm. In that they're very individual characters. There's nine of them, but they are not like peas in a pod. No. Round our place, there is a, a word, they say Ken speckled, which is a kind of a sweet little saying, but it means that basically they're not so Ken speckled. It means that they're not alike at all. They're very different. So feature-wise, you know, I've got dark-haired ones, blonde ones, ginger ones, olive-skinned ones, fair ones, <laughs> but and also different physical builds, but also just different personalities. Mm. We're, you know, some of them are academic, love for school, some mortally hate it. And, you know, I always try to, to treat them all fairly and in exactly the same manner. But there are certain times when one of them maybe needs a bit more support. And it's, yeah, I guess my job is to recognise who that is and be there for them at that moment. You'll do the same. You kind of have to sort of, sort of tune in. But I've noticed that as the family's got bigger... In a way, they kind of look to me less and look to their older siblings. I was going to ask you that, yeah, if you, if you noticed that. Mm. It's sort of, does that sometimes feel uh, partly quite nice that the emphasis isn't always on you as mum, but also mm. sometimes a bit like, oh, I've, I've encouraged them to, you know. Yeah, well, I do, I've, I, it isn't actually that moment that does that. I think it was one of the children going to school um, for the first time and literally just waving to me all the other children were sort of clinging to the parents' legs and, and mine are just gone. Just gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. See you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, you know, I think, I think uh, in, in realistically speaking, when it comes to life lessons, they're the best life lessons, I'm sure. Yeah, they are, because the alternative, that thing where they do cling and have to be peeled off you like Velcro, it's really tough, isn't it? You feel so guilty and that awful sort of lump in your throat of like you know you've got to do it you've got to put yeah. them in school and do all these things but you just feel like oh god I feel like the worst person ever you know well I mean you always have those moments mm. you always always are going to have those moments it's not a bed of roses is it no it's really not and I think sometimes I feel like from having a big family my kids get so much from it I love that it's quite a defining thing I think if you grow up in a big household um, but it also means sometimes I know that when my eldest when he was 14 and I told him I was having my fifth baby he was quite upset on the day. Was and, he? Yeah, and he said, oh, he said, it's just that there's only two of you and now there's going to be so many of us. And he just felt really sad that I was sort of diluting myself again, is how he saw it at the time. And I, I had to really give him loads of extra comfort to reassure him that he was, it was going to be the same between us, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean the, you, you come up against uh, all kinds of issues that you could never, ever have anticipated. And I mean... We're not like the Waltons, you know. <laughs> the dynamics are always changing. Is anyone like the Waltons? I doubt no, it. I don't think so. But, no. you know, the dynamics change. Yeah. I guess they were with, with your brood as well, that, you know, you will have two that, that really, for a while, really thick, really get on together, and then they'll pull apart a little bit as one of them maybe matures a bit more. Yeah. But generally, I can absolutely categorically say that when it comes down to it, 
they are really all on each other's side and watching each other's back. Yeah, I think it's also something that, I mean, I'm sure every household does this anyway, but I think you really have to encourage that as well. Like in, in our house, I'm always, that's one thing I'm really firm about is that, look, the world will make all sorts of judgments. Some of them will lift you up. Some things will be really hard for you. But here has to be a place where within our walls, you can act how you act and be yourself and no one's going to say you're stupid or that's ridiculous or, Absolutely. you know, it's got to be, this has got to be a safe environment for you to just stretch yourself out a bit and see what feels good on you exactly well that's that's that is enormously important for them to be able to express themselves Mm. and be and be themselves and I feel like I don't feel that detached from feeling like that myself because of where I've come from and where I am now and I say well look I've got my finger in a lot of pies we do a lot of things don't limit yourself but also don't expect other people to be able to do it for you we can help you along but at the end of the day, it really is down to you. Mm. And that, with my oldest particularly, you know, she, she, she was um, very focused on what she wanted to do and, and going to university and what grades she needed. And she did it. I didn't do it. I'm really proud of her, but I can't take any credit whatsoever from, from, from how she is. She did it herself. That's brilliant. Yeah. And Ruben, my... Um, well, he's the next oldest boy, so he'll be... He'll be coming up 17. He um, is not academic. He's slightly dyslexic. He really didn't like his schoolwork. Not an academic bone in his body, but not not, not um, stupid. Very clever. But he had his own aspirations for what he wanted to be. He wanted to do mechanical engineering. And I was like, right, that's, that's great. Let's sort you out with that. He wrote letters to... Um, the local places that he wanted to work at, if at all possible, and was offered three apprenticeships, took one, and that's what he's doing now. Oh, that's great. So some people might think success, university, grades, hmm, not so sure about Ruben because he, yeah, he got his results, but that wasn't what he wanted to do. It's kind of like, you know, people can be very judgmental yeah as to what is classed as a success and for me a success is is a happy child doing whatever they want to do and fulfilling their dreams and being happy in their world of work making good decisions that are their decisions not anyone else's yeah well it sounds like you had to go through a little bit of that for yourself really finding well exactly yeah so you you know full well what it felt like to sort of go I mean it's funny because when you're talking about going into shepherding it was almost like you were describing you know something unobtainable like like becoming a pop star pretty but, much yeah <laughs> well, did you have any like is there like a poster person of like a female shepherdess on your wall does that <laughs> no, exist <laughs> there wasn't really not really I mean there was various ideas of course of course I suppose not like big poster of Bo Peep up there like. no friend <laughs> <laughs> no no not at all but there was there was various people who were in the media at that time that uh, that kind of in a way I suppose inspired me there was a lady called Hannah Hartswell who you might or might not have heard of she was discovered in the Dales she was a lady who was living on her own um, living living on a farm, farming in her own right, no running water, living very very basically. And basically, she became she became huge because it was at the very beginning of the old Flannerwall documentary series, mm. and um, and she became enormous. Did did all kinds of things, travelled all over the world, met the Queen, all the rest of it. And again, she was one of those people that uh, that she had books, and I saw the television series later later on in life, and then. Um, 
I got to meet her. Ah. I became her friend. Oh, that's so, Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like you sort of, you feel a certain distance away from these things and then somehow fate dictates, it becomes a bit of a reality. So you met your husband when you, is it you were del- delivering a sheep or had to pick up a sheep? I had to pick up a sheep, yeah. That's where it all started. It's all the sheep's fault. <laughs> it's all the sheep's fault. I'd made myself, I was already independent in my own way. I was working as a contract shepherdess and I was milking cows. So the place I was milking cows, I also had a flock of sheep. And they sent me um, on a mission to go and pick up a tup, a ram, from um, a farmer way back in Yorkshire, because I was in Cumbria at that point. So that's where I met Clive. I set off to go pick the tup up and I met Clive. And it was kind of like a, um, a slow burn relationship. We became friends first, friendship. And, and he's then... living in the same place where you are now? Yes, yes, yes he was at Ravensea. So it was, it was four years between meeting him and getting married. Ah, and he had two children yes, already? Yes, he has two older children. So how old are they? Um, Were they when you met them? Yeah. They would, he, was, he was already separated from his wife and um, Robert now farms in his own right. Literally, I think he was at the farm yesterday. He broke hmm. his leg. Um, uh, he will be, well, he'll be farming it? about 10, 10 miles away from where oh. we are. So, yeah, he, had his, he would have been 11 when we met and Rosie would have been 8. So you were a stepmom before In a you way, were, yeah. yeah. But I kind of didn't feel like I wanted to sort of step into those shoes I would never call myself a stepmom in that respect because it, that would have felt like I was taking something away from somebody else you know what I mean okay so I was I was there I was Amanda known as Amanda I was you know because their mom was um still very active role in their upbringing oh yeah so, well, I have you a stepmom and I always call her she's always been politic yeah. she's not I don't call her like, yeah mom families are never stra- straightforward no no she's, only, she's stepmom in that she's you know the the woman that my dad married and they have my brother and little sisters but, exactly but she I don't think I don't think being a stepmom necessarily means you are trying no. to say you're another another mother it's just it's the sort of role you find yourself in would and you it, say you're motherly though I'm motherly hmm what does that actually mean? Because because I don't know if I am motherly. I know that sounds silly. Cause you no, no, say... it doesn't, I don't think it's a silly at all. I think there's lots of ways to interpret it, actually. I totally get what you mean, because I've got some friends that I think are incredibly maternal and they don't have any children. I also know pe- women that have children that necess- aren't necessarily what you call maternal. No. And I think I have strength and weakness. I don't think it's a, a, a yes or a no. I don't think no. it's binary. I think it's a spectrum. And there are some bits where I think... You know, there'll be like a difficult conversation I have to have, or something I have to problem solve, and I'll think, I might do really well. That. And then other times I'll think, I'll actually have to go back and find them and say, I apologise and say, I'm sorry, I got that really wrong. I mean, oh. I did a classic, really not very maternal thing last night where I was so, they were all, they had three of them after bedtime, and they were all, they kept kind of bickering and annoying each other. And in the end, I was like, you're all being horrible, and I'm really looking forward to going to bed. And my eldest one that was up, Kit, who was the 11 year old, he was horrified. He's like, You can't talk to us like that. Like, <laughs> oh, yes, I can. I mean, that you're all being so horrible. Um, but that, I don't think that's particularly like, well, no, it's, but it's you, not very but maternal, again, is but it? Do you not think I was just that... exasperated. Yeah, but you get like that. <laughs> and I think that's a good thing because they're getting the reality. I mean, sometimes I've sort of, I've sort of witnessed that sort of, sort of, I don't know, that smothering, icky kind of overpowering motherly uh, I can't be doing with it well yeah and I think uh, it's just it's just not my way at all it doesn't mean that I'm not loving it doesn't mean uh, that 
at all but I just can't I can't be that I always think to myself have you ever got down on my hands and knees and done a jigsaw with the children no never but what have I done I've been out we've been walling together we've ridden horses together we swim together we do all sorts of things together but it's just my way and it's also about what your life is yeah but also I think because you know how you're well, it sounds like the way you're talking about it that you understand that you know, they can find someone else they can do that jigsaw puzzle with. Yeah. But there's things about them that will always just be the thing they did with their mum. And that's actually, that's completely fine. Kids, I think as the mother, you can make it so that you put such a pressure on yourself to be all things to all people. And sometimes I remind myself, it's fine if they have exactly. to ask that person, that person, that person to solve that for exactly. them. Exactly. I have the, my areas I'm good at, and then there's other bits that other people are good at. And that's the trap that you can fall into, isn't Definitely. it? Definitely. And I think also, you know, sometimes... Take some courage. It, it takes does. some courage. And you have to relax on yourself a yeah, bit, don't you? Yeah, you do. Because, you know, for me, you know, the, the children going out the door and doing things and falling over in muck and doing goodness knows what, that's all part of our life. And and I'm happy with that. Yeah, and, and I'm presumably as well, that. you need to be able to cut yourself... Like you, Your first thing you you love before all the kids came along was the life that you're actually yeah. leading the you know the farm life and shepherding and all those things that you wanted to do so you have to be able to retain that selfishness that says that's that's really well, course, important of course to me. it is it is and it is their life and what to live with but i don't you know people say oh you know you'll be hoping one of them's a farmer I, i'm not actually right bothered what they want to be or do it doesn't no. matter to me it doesn't matter to me i'm not sort of um, sort of looking for the golden child that takes over the farm. I, I don't mind. I don't care. No, I, I can see that. I can. See I just that. want them to be whatever they want to be. And I'll say to them, you know, anything is achievable. You can be this, this, and this, and this. But you have to do it. Can you remember what it was like when you had your first baby? I mean, did you always think I want to be a mum one day, or did no, it just kind of happen? I literally didn't know anything whatsoever about babies. <laughs> I can't tell you how, and this is really... I'm only laughing because you've had so many. No, but this, yeah, but this is really terrible. And I think back, I wrote about it actually. And honestly, it sounds like a job for social services, this, but um, literally, so I I have the baby. You see, my idea was because, because of being a shepherd and because of working with sheep and cows and horses and livestock in general... Obviously, I'm present when things give birth and I have to help out when required, etc. That's all part of the job. So, when I got pregnant, I was like, yeah, this is just a natural process. What's the biggie? You know, Mm -hmm. just get on with it. Now, of course, it all fell um, in, it was 2001. So, it was foot and mouth. That was what was going on in the countryside. So, it it was pretty much lockdown. It was pretty much lockdown to an entirely different level. Uh, how it is now and we were pretty much cut off on the farm with nobody coming in or out or anything so I was like right well that's absolutely fine I'm expecting a baby it's not a problem I don't need midwives coming out I don't need to be checked I don't I, I hate these graphs I hate these tick boxes check boxes all the rest of it I'm not doing it so it sounds very much like earth mother to sort of say that I kind of sort of turn my back on all that but it just was practical. It was just what what made sense to me. So I said, right, well, all this is going on. Um, basically, I'll ring up when I think I'm going to have the baby and a midwife will come out and I'll have a home birth. 
well, that didn't go down very well because um, living where we do, it was two hours to the hospital. So I was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place whereby they would say, yeah, we, want, we, we understand that you want to have a home birth, but the fact of the matter is you're a long way from the hospital in case things go wrong. I was like, oh, you know, it'll be fine. Nature. Yeah, you can laugh, can't you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so basically the morning comes and, and I'm like, oh, I'm not feeling too great. And I'm sort of, I've got these, and I'm thinking, yeah, I think, I think this, is, this is the time the baby's coming. So I, I, it was, it was um, April the 12th, 2001. I rang up the midwife and said, she must disinfect her wheels before she comes down because I don't want to bring foot and mouth to the farm, et cetera, et cetera. But I think um, my time's here. So she came down to the farm and looked at me and said, well, this is amazing. You've only got a couple of hours and there'll be a baby here. You're dilated, you wow. know. And I was like, great. What's all the fuss about, you know? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, but the only thing we didn't know was uh, the baby was um, not in the right position. It was coming face first. It was now, I'm not quite sure the exact term. I think it was ossiput. But basically, it was called sunny side up. Okay. So basically, the, instead of looking up like that, and it's a very, very painful position for a baby to be in when you're giving birth. Yes, that definitely doesn't sound very comfortable. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. And it also explained why I wasn't actually having contractions. I just had this sort of like backache, excruciating. So the, the baby's neck is basically yeah. craned backwards. Yeah. Oh, wow. This. Oh, wow. Well, it's greeting, greeting life head on. <laughs> Absolutely. So, two hours come and go. Clive was carving a cow at the same time. So you can imagine how this is going. He's outside carving a cow and he keeps coming back in to have a look at what's going on. He was feeding me those, like, um, jelly dinosaurs to give me energy. I always remember that. <laughs> Shove one in and back out to my cow. Anyway, it was kind of like competitive birthing, if you know what I mean. Anyway, so you the, and the cow. Yeah, me and the cow. So the cow basically carved. It had its calf. And he come in and he was like, well, I don't know what you're messing about, X. Basically, my cow's calved and it's up-footed and it's sucked and you still haven't done anything yet. Ah, I love a supportive... <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> anyway, anyway, basically, of course, baby was stuck. Oh, my goodness. Completely, totally, and utterly jammed. So my idea of staying at home and it all being fine turned into a blue lie. Oh, you poor thing. That must have been terrifying. Yeah. It wasn't good because it was two hours in an ambulance. And, of course... Because they couldn't monitor the baby, I couldn't have any pain relief. Oh, my goodness. And what I didn't realise was that when a baby gets stuck like that, your body actually goes into a permanent contraction. <laughs> so I was writhing, and they were holding me down. And my midwife has been travel sick because the ambulance was rocking and rolling on this, if you imagine, those lovely oh. Dale's Rosa. So you can imagine, it's like worst nightmare for the first baby. Did you think you were going to survive it? Because actually, uh, pain my, like that, you sometimes the go pain get, like, like that, it was, can do it. It was horrendous. When I got to the hospital, I remember Clive set off in a Land Rover to follow the ambulance. He got lost. Two hours later, I turn up at the hospital and literally they wheel me in and they say, right, we're going to have to do a section because the baby, just like cows and calves, if when a cow is calving or if when um, a yow is lambing, the, the, the birth fluids are like stained with meconium. Basically, it means that the unborn calf or unborn um, lamb is stressing because it's basically poo. Yeah. And it stains the, the, the birth fluid. That's exactly what was happening to, to me. So everything, everything, I knew what was going on because yeah. they were like, oh, there's, the baby's in stress. 
and they had to hold me down to give me an epidural because, of course, I was moving all over and they brought my husband in to hold me down to get the needle in. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. So that a week in hospital, Raven was absolutely Did fine. Did you have she a C-section? Was, yeah, had to have a C-section. You see, that ruined the, the rest of the idea of having a home birth, of course. No, that's fine. That's my life, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised it didn't crawl past the back of you or something like that. Um, No, pretty much that that put pay to the idea of ever having a home birth again because once you've had a section, it's another one of those things. Oh, once you've had a section, you'll never be able to give birth naturally ever again, she says, eight babies later. So have you had all the others naturally then? Yeah, all the others naturally. And all the others, bar one have all appeared either at home or en route to the hospital. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. But yeah, my first one, if you, if you were going to say I was going to learn my lesson, you would never have said after an experience like that that I would have had another eight. No, but then I don't... I think there must be something at work when you just want to have another baby because I had my first, uh, like, nine weeks early, I preeclampsia, I was rubbish at being pregnant, I felt rubbish, yeah. and... I thought that my like one of my first questions when I'd had him was just like, am, am I allowed to have another one? And then I had the second one. Kit, he was ten weeks early. Same thing happened to me again. And I was like, what are the chances happening again? Yes. <laughs> and I just every time I said, oh, it shouldn't happen again, I would be like, well, I'll go for that then. I'll go for that well, chance. Exactly. It's going to be all right. That's what you have to. That <laughs> if you imagine ideas and even medicine changes, I I've gone from injecting myself with blood thinners because everyone's convinced I'm going to die of a blood clot to actually having to take medicines to make me clot because they think I'm going to bleed to death. So you're like, hang on, they're the opposite things. Mm. So, <laughs> and you had, you had a premature baby, didn't you? I did, second? I had another at 31 weeks. Mm. I had that him at home. and Was I, that your second baby? Yes. And I thought, I thought that he was dead because oh I, was at, I, was, I was at home and literally it was so quick, upstairs, blood... And then baby, and there was no sound whatsoever. And it was just, it, the river was in flood, so they couldn't get the ambulance across the river. I mean, we live, really, really live out in the sticks. Yeah. And again, it's two hours on the way to hospital. And I remember I was almost in a daze. I was, I, it felt like it hadn't happened to me. Mm. And I was looking across at Reuben, who was, he was um, three pounds, and they had an oxygen mask, and they were kind of trying to scrunch it up. To make it fit his yeah. tiny face. Oh yes. my goodness. And then he, he had um, um, a pneumothorax, one of his lungs collapsed. No, yeah, I know all about that, yeah. And I got the phone call in the middle of the night to say, you know, one of his lungs has collapsed. And then I got another phone call to say his other one had collapsed. And, you know. Yeah, it's quite scary, isn't oh, it? It's, it's horrible when you look back on it. But somehow you kind of sort of, I don't know, put it aside, don't you? And then, yeah, and, and I think. Well, I don't know if it's the same for you, but I think that's exactly what happened with um, with my second as well. And I think everybody... I didn't want anyone to feel sorry for us. I didn't want anyone to think of Kit as a, a patient. So I would always try and put the forward... Like, we've had our baby and he's had... This is what's happening at the moment, but one day he'll come home. And I think yeah. there were a couple of wobbly moments where I thought, am I being a bit naive here? But by and large, I think, you know, I was still like, I've had a baby, he's here, yeah. he's lovely... So I think I kind of wanted to always set set the tone that I wanted people to say congratulations, yes. not, not looking me worried, you know. Exactly. Pra- with when it comes to practicalities, you see, the more children you have, the more it impacts on on how much you can 
sort of put into the baby, I suppose, in a way, mm. physically. By the time I got to Nancy, number nine, uh, and she was early as well, and she had to stay in hospital, I had to go, right, you know what? I'm going to come every night when we finish the work on the farm and I've sorted all the kids out and I've sorted out everything that I need to do. I will drive 70 miles, because by then they'd moved, moved where the hospital was. I will come, sit, we'll do feeding, all the rest of it, express some milk, all the rest of it, and then I'll go back home. And then, because, and, and people were like, but, but you're not staying at the unit there with her. Well, you know, they didn't say it, but they probably thought, well, you know, what kind of mother's she? I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Well, I think you quite. I think you do. You think that people might be thinking that. Yeah, I think, but I think that's probably also our own way of balancing it out because you've got your other eight at home and they need you exactly. too. Exactly. So and that's when it gets a bit complicated, doesn't it? It does. It really does. I mean, when I had my second and he was in hospital, I, the first one, I used to go at least twice a day, mm. and then when I had Kit, I only went once a day because I had a four-year-old. Yeah, exactly. Home, you've got other so. other things going on, and yeah. you have to kind of keep it real. And I think the thing is working with livestock and animals you do keep it real yeah well i was going to say you do you do. think you've taken any sort of lead from oh enormous yeah enormously i can I, I, honestly i think probably when you're giving birth it's the time that you're closest as opposed to to nature without any interference from anything people have these big aspirations of how they'd like it to be you know whale music the jazzle <laughs> Reality isn't that, is it? It's like, <laughs> it's like you're not going to look good or anything like that. But I would, as time went on, I kind of started reading the signs. And it was when I watch a when I watch a yow, when I watch a sheep, and it's going to lamb. Obviously, it it kind of has a bit of a nesting instinct. But we would say, oh look, she's panching, and panching means to go around and around and around and around. And I'd find myself doing that. Yeah. I'd be kind of doing circles, kind of like. Not necessarily uncomfortable, but just kind of, I don't know what I was doing. But it was, it was probably something pretty primeval that goes well, back a say, very long way. Because a lot of animals take themselves off, don't they? Like Absolutely. cats do that, don't they? Do sheep do the same thing? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And you see, because uh, of the way we shepherd and because it's outside and it is back to nature and the majority of our sheep will have one lamb, you don't have to be as physically involved with them. I mean... Out of a thousand sheep on our farm, probably somewhere in the reason maybe 20, 25, 30 will actually physically need helping to give birth. Okay. The rest of them just do it themselves. You can see where I got my idea from here. <laughs> so, so, you know, very much hands off, which is good, which is, which is good. So, you know, people might say, oh, you know, she must be very hard, very tough. She's never, apart from the first one, which was um, um, uh, a caesarean, I've never been in a position or a place to ever have any kind of um, pain relief or anything. In fact, one of your births sounds like it was very much like that sort of, like a, a you, just like you took yourself. Oh, number eight, yeah. Yeah. That was, number eight for me was, was perfection. And you see, again, I don't know what it is. I think, I, think I, I almost set myself up that I'm looking over my shoulder for people to sort of, say oh you know that's selfish or that's whatever but I decided on this occasion I was absolutely totally and utterly hacked off with giving birth at the side of the road it is not ideal 
<laughs> no matter how nice the road is. Do you get people and be- beeping? Yeah. Oh, people beeping. I cool. spoiled someone's picnic once. Honk if you like my yeah. baby. <laughs> <laughs> I did actually. They were sitting there at the side of the road having a picnic and literally doors <laughs> open. It was like, yeah, this is this is not great. Oh my God. So, so yeah, it was like, right, I'm, this time I'm going to stay at home and if at all possible, I'm just not going to bother anybody. I'm just going to get on with it. And I got the warning signs, which by then I kind of did know. Got the old sort of low down. I don't get contractions. Okay. Which is good. How common is that? I don't know. I've never had a contraction. Apparently. You've never had contractions. No, I've had all of mine C-sections. Ah. Yeah. I've never had... I don't know. But the thing that I will say is that each one of the babies that someone's actually seen it fall out or come out or do whatever it did has all said that they've been looking up. Oh, wow. So they wonder if it's the shape of my pelvis. That means that um, I don't get contractions. And because, as I say, Raven was £9.2, and since then they've got progressively smaller, they don't get stuck anymore. £9.2 is quite a big baby, isn't yeah, it? it wasn't good, and, it, and she was stuck, you see. But since then, you know, biggest £9.2, smallest £3, mm. <laughs> and everything in between. Um, but by the time I got to Clemmy, I was like, right, well, if at all possible, I really don't want to have to go to hospital, because by then they'd moved the goalpost yet again. It was two and a half hours to get to the hospital. And I was thinking to myself, well, if I can, I'm just going to get on with it. So... Um, that evening, went to bed, couldn't settle. I'm sort of, you know, unsettled. It's the old sheep thing again, you know. I'm sort of shuffling about. Came downstairs, made myself a classic cup of tea. And I thought, well, I think. I just have a hunch that this could be it. This could be, it could be time. So I thought, right, it's kind of like that moment where it's now or never. I thought, you know, if I ring up, if I ring up, then all hell will break break loose. You know, the hospital will be on the phone. They'll try to send a paramedic. I thought, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to make myself a comfy place. Chuck some more coal on fire. And, yep, I set, set myself down next to the fire. It was midnight, and by one o'clock, I'd had her. That's so amazing. All by yourself? Yeah. That must have been when pretty I, magical. When I'm, I'm, this might sound sort of, I suppose, quite intimate, but I have a friend who's in the medical profession who'd said, look, because I hadn't really dared share what I was going to do. Because nowadays, everybody has sort of legal things that they can't... Put it this way, a midwife cannot come to me when I'm giving birth. She can come to me immediately before, she can come to me after, but she can't actually come during the process of birth because I'm so far from the hospital, it cannot be... They cannot, she cannot have that responsibility. If it all went wrong, she would be sued. Oh my goodness, exactly. What a strange, it's how we are, it's, it's how society's gone. Oh, it's such a shame. And you can, I can, in so a way, understand it, it. Mm. but no midwife could come to me until after I've given birth. They can come before, they can come after, but during that process, legally. If it all went wrong, I could sue whatever you want. So that's another reason. Wow. But having a baby on your own like that must have felt really quite magical and also... It was. I put my hand down and I felt, I felt the head and that's when I knew I was on it. <laughs> I knew I was all right. Because my, my friend had said, you know, if there's a hand, you're in trouble. If there's a foot, oh. you're in trouble. <laughs> wow. You've got a head and you're like, fine. Think about all the people there are in the whole world. Hmm. Think about how many people there are in the whole world. There's a lot of us, isn't there? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of us. 
And there's a lot of people in the world nowadays that don't have access to medical treatment and all the box ticking, form filling, checking and stuff that yeah that we have. No, I know it's like if you go somewhere like in India, yeah, and you see this cacophony of humanity in all forms. You know, driving along yeah. the road and there's like a family of seven on that vehicle, and there's someone having their beard trimmed by the side yeah. of the road and a cow wandering along yeah. and you're like this is just happening here all the time yeah. simultaneous to everything yeah. else that's gone in my life it does make you think differently about the world it does make it? you feel and it can it can make you rail against it a little bit well, I was going to say what do you think it is that's, that does has built that rebellion in, in you well it is it's, <laughs> I think it's part of where it's part of where I live this kind of little bit of you kind of I don't know it gives you freedom yeah. It is this lovely thing, and I'd say to anybody who reads the books, listens to these podcasts, or, or watches the TV, it isn't about me saying, do things like this, or, or this is what you should do, because everybody's circumstances are unique to them, where they live, what their situation is with their family and all the rest of it. But it's kind of having the courage, having the courage to, to do things your way, not feel that you've always got to fit in. It can, it's, it can be so bad to go down the road of competitive parenting. Yeah, or competitive living, full stop, actually. Yeah. Do you think your friends that you knew at school and your family, are they, were they at all surprised by the route that your life took? No, or did it make I, complete sense I think to it was rebellion. <laughs> I, have a, I, have a, I have a nasty suspicion that in hindsight, when you look back, you see it as a sort of two fingers up, don't you? If you can't rebel by doing the same thing as everybody else. No. You know, you can't, you, you like know, hey, let's be a goth. Hang on a minute. Everybody <laughs> else on the bus is a goth. It doesn't kind of stick out, does it? So like, hey, right, well, I'm going to go and be a shepherd. I'm going to live out in the wilds and I'm going to get myself a sheepdog and a crummy old pickup truck and I'm going to live in a caravan in a farmyard. It's like, oh, okay, let's see how long that lasts then. So do you think sometimes the TV programme that you ended up letting people see into your world is a bit of a message to sort of teenage you like yeah here you go yeah why not because there might be girls out there that see it and go oh, that's so cool it's like why like not? I said there's parallels with like rock and roll living the way you've described it to yeah others. but who likes stereotypes yeah and that's the thing isn't it so people say oh you know stereotype okay so shepherd what does that encompass yeah I've got hands like shovels you can kind of tell um, this is but... not true <laughs> not true you've got a better uh, manicure than me I painted over <laughs> I painted over the grubby <laughs> But you see what I mean? It's stereotypes really irritate, don't they? They're really great. I mean, it's like saying, people say, well, are you a feminist? Well, no, I love men and all the rest of it, but I'm myself. I do my thing. I've, I, I... Small, small, I would say feminists do love men too. Yeah. yeah, yeah they do. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm not sort of, burn your bra, could you imagine what would happen? It, 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 <laughs> it's, um, it's kind of... I suppose not wanting to be whatever someone expects you to be. And kind of wearing a lot of different hats. Mm. Yeah. Clive always says there's not, not, a, not much in between. It's always, it's like full on. It's either totally and utterly dreadfully scruffy, leggings with hole in and scruffed up clothes and ripped up coat and bobble hat on round farm. Or it's really making an effort and being out and about there's not much in between it's always kind of like I suppose to the to the extreme and I guess it's because because you don't like people to think they know who you are because of what you do or because of little snippets they've got of you yeah well I totally understand that actually it's funny because um I have a tattoo on my arm and it says family 
and sometimes it's it's been criticised, and I I don't mind at all. But I remember once saying to Richard, my husband, like you know, oh, people aren't always that nice about it, and he's like. You know what, he said, the thing about it that's always really cool is that it sort of suggests that maybe people don't know everything about you. And I thought, I really love that. I think that's a really special thing if you feel like you've kind of got a little part of yourself that's kind of just yours to keep, really. I think that's a nice feeling. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's it, again, we're going back to, to, to stereotypes of what people think. So I, I live out in the countryside. I, I live out in the sticks and, you know, it's a farming community. It's a rural community. But sometimes you have to laugh because, you know, you will read something in the newspaper, Daily Mail or whatever, whereby some poor woman has been thrown out of a cafe for breastfeeding a baby or something like that. And I think that's incredible because that's in supposedly, you know, an urban environment where everyone's, you know, pretty woke, chilled out, civilised everybody, you know, doesn't bat an eyelid at anything. And yet, for the last 15 years or whatever, I've been going around feeding babies, basically with my tit out, and nobody's even noticed because it's the opposite. Farmers, people from the countryside, they absolutely know that the best way to nourish a baby, to bring a baby up, is to breastfeed. Mm. That's all you can. I have to. I'm pretty, always really surprised that there's any nastiness about breastfeeding. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. So it's like, right, okay. So in this full-on sort of woke society, someone might actually think, oh god, look at look at that. That's, that we don't want to see that. But actually, it, at the auction mart, where the average age of a farmer is predominantly, you know, getting on a bit over sixty or whatever, and everyone's dressed from head to foot in waterproofs, nobody bats an eyelid at having a baby plugged in. Yeah, yeah. It's the opposite. best way to keep them quiet as well too right i mean it's all about laziness at the end of the day i mean can you imagine me ever sterilizing anything no i stopped that after i think maybe the second maybe yeah. and someone bought me a sterilizer i was like what <laughs> <laughs> what was it the same for you was there a tipping point with um with having babies because i've realized after i had my third people would still say do you think you'll have another one and after I had my fourth they would say are you done yet and i wondered are if... they still saying that <laughs> yeah no i had to get that mo- it, it just definitely shifted from oh might you have another one to Please tell me you're done. <laughs> Is it the same for you? Do you people, people? Sort of, people sort of kind of almost say things that I think they wouldn't dare say to other people with a smaller family. Yeah, there's definitely things that get said that, yeah. What kind of thing do you, do you think of when you say that? Well, I, you know, they, they obviously make big assumptions, don't they, as to... I suppose you could say... Plan-wise, there never was a plan. There was definitely never ever, never any family planning at all. So I don't know. But if I did know, I probably wouldn't tell the person who was asking me. Anything. No. And does um, <laughs> Clive, has he sort of always been in tandem with you? Like Richard often pretends that he's a sort of hapless hapless victim that my family sort of grew. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think Clive <laughs> plays the same card as yeah. well. He just kind of nods in the right place and get, get, gets, gets on with it. But again, it's that sort of idea again that, oh, it's a really new thing for men to be hands-on and help and all the rest of it and be really sort of good at changing it. But it's been going on for ages. And Clive doesn't sort of wear it as a, a, a badge. 
just gets on with it. You just yeah. do whatever needs doing. You know, if I'm out doing something, he'll do what needs doing, vice versa. Do you think most people have any kind of idea of how, how much hard work it is running a farm? And writing books as well. That's the thing that's oh really God, amazing. That is... How did you write the books? I'm going to go tell my editor tomorrow that I haven't quite written as much of my next book as I should have done. So is this book number four? four. That's impressive. It's really difficult. But do you not think that pressure makes things happen definitely a deadline is what i need i that's exactly the thing if someone said hey um write a book do it in your own time and just you know never do it (laughs) never do if someone says right we need the book by christmas they'll get it come hella high water have you ever thought about doing fiction is your new book fiction or no 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 it's more uh, i suppose it's more it's like photograph based lifestyle based whatever is it kind of makes me feel a bit awkward saying lifestyle because it's like but it's kind of to do with i suppose um, the kind of life we lead with the children and, yeah, photograph-based, really, with a few life hacks and bits and pieces. Oh, that's nice. I mean, cause I know you said that, you know, some people can be judgmental about things, but I think, by and large, people love the idea of a happy, a happy bustling home and even people that haven't wanted for themselves to have lots of children. No- it used to be nostalgia, but now it's not. It's yeah. changed. I've, I, I think you probably are aware of that as well with this year. Mm. It's definitely um, sort of got people's focus changed. Definitely. Once upon a time, people would look at uh, uh, the farm and me and Clive and the children, and it'd be predominantly maybe your older people looking back nostalgically on their childhoods and what had come before. But now, actually, it's actually younger generation, which is quite exciting, really. Yeah, like a, sort of like a yeah. return to innocence almost, and yeah. being at one with like what's actually going on in the seasons. Yes. And- yeah. yeah, and I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it's become quite fashionable, hasn't it? You know, seasonality and sort of provenance and all the rest of it. Mm. And it sort of ticks all the boxes with what we're looking for, environment and landscape, all those things. Um, but it's not something new. It's something that's always been there and always was there. It's just at some point in not that long ago, the emphasis changed. It was always more, more, more. It was consumerism. It was, you know... It yeah. Was, and things are just, just going going back. Yeah, I agree, actually. I think people, as well, like, when they're... As consumers, people want to be more in touch with, you know, buying what's in season, knowing what's made in this Absolutely. country. Like, you know, the people behind the business, that kind of thing. I feel like that has become more of a thing. I mean, you mentioned this year, when I was making your tea before, we were talking a little bit about... Um, how tricky homeschooling was for I think for both of us did you find it just impossible with the range of ages as well oh I, I must admit I didn't really try <laughs> okay that's fine, no, that's fine. People, kept, people did keep asking me I said oh how's the homeschooling coming on then and I was honest I said it isn't no I was exactly the, it isn't I did try though I got the box files and everything I was like right oh you went one step further than me <laughs> we kind of logged on looked at it and groaned it, yeah. was, it was like that point when one of the children was like trying to add up letters and I was like, you can't even add up letters. You can't even <laughs> give up. <on." laughs> but yet again, the technology thing, people will say, oh, well, living where you do, you must be, you know, it's great not to see their kids with technology. We love that. No technology. We hate technology. It's the end of the world. Technology is terrible. Mm. Wrong. Technology is great. It's just, it's just how... It is in your life where you have it. And I am really lucky to basically be able to absolutely, I suppose, control it. Once you're out the door, it doesn't work. Mm. So therefore, when you're in the house, 
you can get online, you can you can go global. But once you're out that door, it's gone. That is pretty ideal, isn't it? It is because I can't say to the children, "No technology for you. You're not having a phone. You're not. You're not going to use a computer. All the rest of it. It's all bad." Because I couldn't have achieved the things that I've got to do without it. Yeah. I can send manuscripts backwards and forwards. I couldn't do social media, all the rest of it. That couldn't happen. Yeah. Can't run a business without it. So it'd be really sort of hypocritical for me to go, no technology for you kids. Yeah. It's just, it's just when it starts to take over your life, that's a problem. Yeah, I know. I think, um, I think that's true. I think, yeah, I don't see it as a bad thing either. I think also the kids, they're so dexterous with a lot of it. And actually... If you let them have a, the opportunity of doing what they want to do, they, they'll only really keep doing it if it's something that they really enjoy and then they can make it something Absolutely. creative. So, like, my 11-year-old likes making, like, stop-frame animations and this kind of thing and making, like, his little films. Mm. But the next one, Dan Ray, he'd rather be reading a book and that's just his, his own choice. Exactly, so it, and that's it kind it. of The minute you ban something, you just make it quite... Yeah, it's much more seductive, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so, again, technology, it's wonderful. It, it can... It, I mean, it will really have made a difference in our lives as to, to what, we, what, we, what we can do, what we can achieve. But it means the kids can live their life on the farm, um, live remotely, they can ride horses, they can swim, they can do all that, but they can also talk to their friends. Oh, have you got any of them that aren't, aren't that outdoorsy or are they all pretty? They're all pretty outdoorsy. That's good, isn't They're it? They're all pretty outdoorsy. Um, some of them read more than the others. They're all very different characters, yeah. um, re- really. But they all have their own um, chores. I don't know how you are with chores with yours, but... Uh, pretty bad. What do you... So do you have like a rotor system or they've been given No, I'm not that organised. It's basically, you're, you're, you look after the cows, you do them. You look after the chickens, you do them. You bring the eggs and you do that, you do that. You know, that kind of thing. It's all very simple. So they've all got definitely their own yeah, responsibility. Yeah, they have to. They have to because, again, again, it, it, um, you can't do everything and it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work if someone was slacking. So in order to, to sort of keep the ball rolling, yeah. And I guess also it means that they've got a sense of, you know, pulling their weight in the family. Uh, well, you see, that's it, a sense of belonging. Yeah. A sense of belonging. So, where, so wherever so wherever, wherever they go and whatever they do, they've got this sort of tie. We always sit down every day, apart from if someone's away actually doing something like Raven's at uni at the moment or, and Clive sometimes away at the auction or I'm doing something we reckon that every day we sit down and have a meal together and everybody discusses what everybody else is doing where everybody needs to be and what the plans are mm. and we sit down and we do that that's so smart I like that a lot because um, you, you know it's just this this conversation no tech at the table yeah so exactly the same phrase no tech at the table sit there talk to each other about what's going on so you've got a rough idea because of course you know the more variables you have (laughs) the more potential there is for things to go wrong definitely well yeah my my analogy for it is always that all the kids are like their own planets and Mm. I feel like I have to keep landing on the planets and just check on how everything's going how the how the ecosystem is and sometimes you'll be like oh I need to tweak it yeah more of this more of that everything's not growing as well as it should and other times I'm like oh this one's growing really well and I'm not having to do very much yes. like, sorry. there's always constant tweaks going on constant tweaks constant tweaks <laughs> constant tweaks but I think you do you do kind of have more of an idea of what is important yeah I think I think you look at things very differently when you have more children than when you have one 
you're not looking for the for the same levels of perfection I suppose when I had one child when I had two children you know they probably were dressed up a lot smarter than they are now um on child number eight and child number nine yeah I don't think I was ever too bothered about that but I do sometimes find with a lot sometimes I think oh it would be nice to be able to be you know, have more time one-on-one with each one. Mm. I do find that sometimes I, I struggle with that a little bit. I think mine are on hand-me-downs. <laughs> oh, yeah, mine are on hand-me-downs. <laughs> I mean more like with time, really. Oh, like, time. there's a Lego set on the side in here that I was doing with my four-year-old, and we just never... It's never the right time to finish it because doing mm. that when there's also a toddler in the room, just things like that, and I think, oh, or playing oh, a board no. game and things like that. We just... We never play a board game ever because there's always someone who's oh. too little to be... I never do jigsaws, but I do dry stone walls with them, you see. <laughs> That's cool. I That's a, which, which is kind of like a jigsaw. I'll do puzzles with them. I, yeah, like, exactly. I can't build the wall, but I can do a jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but you just have to make it fit. To That's be honest, surely fine. there's uh, similarities in the two. There is. Uh, <laughs> um, and what about for finding your own headspace? Because in a busy house, that is something that's tricky, Yeah, that is, that's really hard. I have to write in the middle of the night when everyone's gone to bed. Oh, wow. So do you often have hardly any sleep? Yes. What's I your... don't need too much sleep, thankfully. I don't think I'm looking too... Piggy no, you don't right. look at all. You I think what well I do rested. is I go quite a few days, quite a few days, like on minimal sleep, and then have a big sleep. Okay, and you get and like then, a lion yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and that's and that's and that seems to work for me. But yeah, actually, I take myself physically away. Sometimes I will um, get in a pickup. Sometimes I will go down to the shepherd's hut. Sometimes I will go down to the house. I have even been known to go and sit at the moor to write. Ah, uh. because I have to. Yeah. And if I do that, you see, I can take myself away from any emails coming in, anything. Yeah, and I just brilliant. go and just take some time out. Well, I think that's... I've always had a bit of a fantasy, and I had it particularly during lockdown, where when everything got a bit much and I felt like I didn't have anywhere that I could sort of just mm. let, let off some steam, I had this fantasy of sort of running. There's like a green just opposite from my house, and I thought, sort of running there, and I couldn't ever decide if I get there and just sort of scream or just sort of lie flat on my back, like collapsed. <laughs> and I did wonder for you if having, having all of that space around you kind of gives you that sort it of does. ability. It does. It gives you screaming that. space. Do you ever scream? Yeah. <laughs> right, there are some tasks that you have to do with a, when you're in the right frame of mind. Mm. You can't write in not the right frame of mind. If you try and say, right, I'm going to set aside 30 minutes or an hour and I'm going to write, Ugh, it just won't work. You kind of have to feel like you're in that space, like you're in that mood. And I found that 20 minutes of being in that mood, you will get you far further than an hour and a half of staring at the paper, not in the right frame of mind, because then whatever you write, you'll probably delete it anyway. Yeah, I think that's very smart, actually. So, so you, you learn as you go along what suits you and how your mind works and that is that's where I'm at kind of at the moment so it can be difficult I can go a long time with with pretty much it sounds it sounds sort of too too writer too author to say sort of like writer's block but in a way that there's just too much going on yeah, I think you're allowed to say writer's too, block if you're a writer. Too, you've, you've, got, you've had three books. I answer to books, many things. <laughs> I answer to many things. So, 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 yeah, I couldn't imagine how it would be to not have that space to just be able to, to go away. What I was saying about being in the right place to do that job, to, to be able to write, you need to have your head in the right place. There are some jobs that you can do, and it doesn't matter where your head's at. So if you're going out around your sheep... If you're if you're out around your sheep, if you're gathering, if you're out 
on the horse, if you're, whatever you're doing, kind of doesn't matter what frame of mind you're in. Mm. Because you can do that job, whatever you're thinking. But writing is the one that, that sort of big bugbear that, that it is imperative that, you, that you're okay. But having, having that split of being able to get away and do other things means that it gives you that bit of space. Well, I think, yeah, I think that's so impressive that you've done that not once or twice, but three times already and now you're in the midst of your fourth book. I mean, with that and running the farm and raising the family, like if, what do you think the Amanda before kids would think of you now? She couldn't even envisage being here. She couldn't... <laughs> you couldn't... They say the truth is stranger than fiction, I suppose. And I would never, ever have put myself here. But I absolutely know that it is all to do with Ravensea and where I live that has given me, um, I suppose, that freedom um, to be myself. Mm. And that's what I... I suppose, in a way, if I was going to say I feel sorry for today's society and where they find themselves and mental health and all the rest of it, I would say that's probably the one thing that, particularly during this year in the pandemic and lockdowns, that people have needed space and room to breathe, isn't it? Mm. It's not even about saying nature, just being able to get outside and, and be able to sort of feel the weather. I just can't imagine for one minute not having that. It, it's, it's been so undervalued. And maybe this year... Maybe the tide has changed and maybe people are, you know, going to see it for what it's worth. Well, certainly we've all got more of the significance of what we see out of our window. Definitely. And Lots of people wouldn't call themselves outdoorsy. Mm. But you need it, don't you? Yeah, you really need it. And I can see so much of what you talked about is all about, as you say, that need to be allowed to be yourself and have that freedom. Be allowed um, to be yourself, Exactly. I think maybe in, a, in an urban situation, it's so easy to always be looking over your shoulder and seeing what everybody else is doing and sort of, you know, um, I suppose comparing. Is that what you felt like when you were growing up in Huddersfield? Mm. Well, of course. You know, mm. somebody's, somebody, you know, can dance and has got the certificates or do music or learn another language or, or whatever and I feel like where I am I've been able to kind of separate myself from that even looking the best on the school run mm. all that stuff you know not that long ago um, a local radio station rang me up and said oh have you heard the news um, one of the local schools has um put a ban on parents bringing their children to school wearing onesies. <laughs> Sounds ridiculous. And we're like, oh, we'd just like to hear what you've got to say about that. And I was like, I'm not even commenting on that. I said, for, for, for a start, they're taking their kids to school, for goodness sake. Get over it. It doesn't matter if you want to take your kids to school in a onesie. I don't care. It's, so, you know, it's, it's kind of like this idea that people might think, oh, she's old-fashioned and you know, living the kind of life that you do, it's sort of back to basics. And yeah, family values and all that. But it kind of also, on the other hand, gives you a, the, such a, a freedom. And that is what I like. That is what I like. And that is what I think people 
people would like for themselves. Yeah, and it sounds like that's what you're encouraging your children to find Hope as so. well. Yeah. Independence, you know, uh, particularly now, nanny state and all the rest of it, kind of grates a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely, yeah. But I think, I think, you know, sometimes it's a literal thing, needing to physically move yourself somewhere you feel you have that expression to be yourself and mm. the freedom. And sometimes it's actually just about stopping thinking about that in your head. I mean, it's easier said than done. And I think, yeah, that's one of the beauties of getting older and then raising a new person to try and find the same thing for themselves. I think getting older, I think you're right on that one as well. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I, I think so. You just all of a sudden feel... It's not a kind of, I've been there, done it, I know. It's not that. It's kind of like more of a chillness, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But do you think you're farming till the end of your days? Yeah. Yeah. Well, doing whatever I'm doing till the end of my days. I do, you know, a bit of this and a bit of that. Again, we're back to the stereotypes. You have to be adaptable. You have to be adaptable and not stuck in your ways. Mm. But I think you do embrace the modern and the traditional by, you know, the the farm life, but also with the TV things and oh, the That's great. Books. You see, that makes you appreciate doing the other one makes you appreciate the other one yeah you know it's on an awful dreadful day when it's kind of like um a two hat kind of a day or balaclava even i don't know what the plural of balaclava but yes i've got kids that actually don't complain <laughs> about balaclava <laughs> <laughs> don't complain about wearing balaclavas when the, when the alternative is like frostbite mm. um yeah you know you have a day like that and i think you have to sort of um Get outside, feel the weather, feel the cold, sort of the drip on the end of the nose to appreciate the warmth when you get back in again. You kind of need to be there to appreciate the other one. Yeah, I think that's really true. So that's, that's it. So living, living in the town and, and from, from where my roots are gives me appreciation of where I am now. Yeah, it sounds like you are in a very happy spot now. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. So there you have it. That was my lovely chat with Amanda Owen, a.k.a. Yorkshire Shepherdess, uh, mother of nine, uh, runner of farms, writer of books, um, an all-around lovely woman. And I think, I thought it was just so lovely to hear and refreshing to speak to someone where their passion, their dream that seemed so unattainable was, you know, being growing up in a town like Huddersfield and thinking, I want to work um, being a shepherdess. Like, that's so cool to me. Um and inspiring to think that, you know, for me, I suppose the equivalent was, you know, being at school and thinking I'd like to sing on stage. But, um, you know, obviously that's a very sort of obvious kind of an unobtainable day job when you're growing up. But actually, you know, you don't you forget about all the other jobs that you've sort of got to find your own way to. And, and for Amanda, it was, it was being a shepherdess. And now she lives that life and works really hard and, and I think reaps lots of benefits from it. And it did make me think, I'm very selfish with my kids in that I raise them in the city because I grew up in the city and I love being in the city. But whenever I take them outdoors and they're roaming in the middle of a big green somewhere or climbing a tree or hanging out with wildlife, I think, oh, I've been so selfish. Children just make a lot of sense when they've got a bit more space to roam. So, yes, I'll have to try and, I don't know, rectify the balance a little. I might have to go and visit Amanda on her farm and... Hang out and give my kids some chores. Then they'll know what hard work is. Uh, anyway, thank you so much for um, for coming here and, and seeing us. Uh, and um, 
yeah, I really enjoyed talking to Amanda and I, I loved all the stories. About, I mean, how amazing was it when she gave birth to her eighth baby on her own in the middle of the night by the, by the fire? That's just extraordinary, isn't it? What a thing. That's very special, kind of magical, but also very brave. Uh, anyway, next week. Oh, next week's a good one. I am speaking to Gina Miller. Gina Miller is, she's sort of like a hit superhero, really. Uh, she's, she's poised, she's smart, she has a very good sense of right and, you know, what's fair and what's just and right in the world, and she's not afraid to fight for it. So she, you might know her because she took the government to court over the um, unconstitutional uh, way of going about leaving and initiating Brexit. Um, and so she took them to court and it ended up, you know, being a much, much bigger deal than just purely taking government to court. It actually affected her her life, her family, death threats, you know, an overhang of which still, still is with her to this day. But it has not dampened her spirit and nor should it. I found her phenomenal. And I'm very excited about sharing our chat with you. Uh, and in the meantime... Happy November. I hope you're enjoying these autumnal days as best we can. Uh, lots of love and I will see you in a week. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.